Because, like, I have all, like, these little ideas, like, little nuggets and stuff of stuff I've heard about other people doing. It's kind of like analysis paralysis. How does that apply here? I remember thinking it was the stupidest thing I ever heard of when I first read Guy's Garden. But you basically take, like, all the different elements you want to have. You write them all down and cut out the pieces of paper. And then you, like, just play with it. And it's like, some of them will make no sense. Mm -hmm. And some of them you're like, we should totally have rabbits above the chicken coop. Again, just clue that into what your context is. Just because it works really well for someone else doesn't mean it's going to work for you. The different environment that we have, or you're just a different person than them, and he's geeked out about raising vermicomposting worms, and you're like, eh, worms. That's like. probably the best thing I've ever output on this property, though, is good compost. Chickens make it easy. Chickens make it easy, but and having good compost makes a huge difference around here because compost doesn't really happen naturally. We have Matt Sargent here today. Appreciate you coming out. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here, Matt. Yeah, he is going to do an, a property evaluation for me. And start the planning process. Start the plan so I can be more efficient here. Efficiency is key. Uh, I speak from lots of experience <laughs> in being inefficient. Water is what falls from the sky. Yes. There is kind of like some weird features to the properties. Just in those pines, there is a slight depression. Right. And then it kind of runs into like, I've got one ravine between those two sets of trees over there. And then I've got another one on the other side. Yeah. As far as water, that's that's it. And you can see we don't have gutters on yet. I didn't know what I wanted to do for like any rain catch. Always good to not set yourself in, up for failure. Yeah. Um, what is the, the goal? Do you want to be like your income comes from the farm or do you want to, you know, feed your family? Feed the family first. If our our yields get so high that we can start selling cool but then like your time availability low input high yield as possible two kids now or three? yep two. two yeah what looks interesting to you I guess it, I can tell you've done some stuff already is this productive or much <laughs> for fun or I brought in a hundred yards of wood chips there's like yeah. 25 still sitting there we spread out 75 because we were thinking that this would be a good spot for a more traditional like row gardening it's right next to water it's next to the house it's it's not a bad place for your kind of zone one when i started doing the fencing i didn't i didn't really care too much about deer getting in it but now i'm kind of caring about deer getting in it but i did hear that if you plant marigolds they really hate the, the smell of marigolds. Marigold might repel them a little bit, but if there's a bunch of salad greens. I found with whitetails and you could probably get a few mule deer. It's really through. a mix. You get them all. Yeah, I get them all. The elk? elk are the trickiest because they can go through any sort of fence. Like, That's true. I've seen them go through high tensile electric that was running 16,000 volts oh with like gosh. five joules. I touched that fence once with my elbow and fell straight to the ground. That's on on film. You can find it on ABC Acres. But with deer, a three-dimensional fence, it doesn't have to be high. I've even done it with two rows of step-in posts. Because they can jump high, but they don't like feeling like they're landing in that trapped area. Sure. Um, okay. And I'm sure they're agile enough to go up and up, but they don't. If you did electrify it, which, you know, you're on grid, so why not? You can bait it with, like, aluminum pie plates. Mm-hmm fold them over the electric, do it while it's off, and then smear peanut butter on it. Mm. And they like the taste of the peanut butter. They'll be intrigued by the smell. They'll come in, they'll get zapped. Let's remember electric fence doesn't kill you, it hurts you, it's a psychological barrier. Sure. They do that a couple times and they're like, that place is like, that hurts, I don't <laughs> yeah. wanna go there. Since you have this existing rail fence, lawnmower size on the outside, run a strand of hot. This was just a big pile of dirt. And I rented an ex, a mini X this, this summer 
and shape this up along with a couple other things I can point out. I was planning on terracing this more or less and this gets almost all day sun. It's not until the late afternoon when it comes across yes. the corner of the house. There's a part of me that leans to maybe pushing it to like slightly out of zone perennials with the dark wall and the heat from the house. With that grade, it's not something you're gonna be wanting to walk in and out of. Just compared to that space, like why grow your carrots or your annuals there? That's gonna be something where you wanna plant, maintain, and harvest, not constantly monitor. Even though it's right next to but just with the grade and whatnot. Sure. So yeah, let's go look at the ravines. You guys have chickens or? The chickens haven't laid for probably two or three months at this point. And um, my hens are in that same site. We like the chickens, we're gonna keep the chickens. We are up to do different management, whether it be a, a different coop altogether or do a chicker, chicken tractoring. Uh, I hate this uh, cheat grass and the, the, nap, the nap weed. I hate all of that. I feel your pain. It'd be pretty sweet to have sheep here, but that's kind of a, bigger time investment and everything infrastructure all of it so it's, so sheep are more an infrastructure thing if you want to rotationally graze them it's definitely a time thing and part of that time can be overcome with more infrastructure where it's easier to rotate them portable netting is it works with some sheep it doesn't work with all sheep if you go that route and you're going to use portable netting be prepared to call heavy the ones that don't respect right them. just like the greg judy method yeah. where you're just like you're out work for me you're done it sounds really inhumane it makes sense in my head but it doesn't work when you're like small scale and you're like i have five sheep all five sheep jump the fence right damn do i really kill them all <laughs> the one thing that makes tractors hard in this terrain is the sagebrush if it wasn't so pretty i would definitely get rid of the sagebrush yeah. and it smells good no so I, I like I it i love it and yeah. I, i'm not advocating getting rid of it because given what you've got going if you were to bush hog and tear out all the sagebrush more than likely you're just going to have more napweed and cheatgrass so it's also good erosion control yeah too. and you've got enough of a slope that it's good that you're thinking about that let's walk up to the up to the road here quick so it comes down here and it can like get cut yeah into here and then through there it feeds one one of the ravines free water <laughs> i don't know if the county or uh irrigation district likes that very much that i'm i'd like to capture more of it but it comes on my property first so isn't that how the law works yes and no that I, I, I'm not a lawyer. I don't play <laughs> one on YouTube or any social media channels. I do know one of my other clients was told that there's a percentage of the runoff on her property is considered owned by downstream. Really? You might want to look into that. My personal take, not my professional take, is that's something that I ask forgiveness for. This is steep. This is steep, yeah. So. The, this is the one ravine that's furthest from the house yeah nice camera shot into the sun there but so then there's almost like a little like plateau area before you've got another one but that little like ditch or whatever you want to call it yeah. cuts through here real nice always had a 
vision of maybe putting like, I don't know, some sort of like Airbnb or mother-in-law suite over here. I mean, access sucks, but it'd be a cool spot and just naturally between the two ravines. If you wanted to generate income, putting a mini house here or something, would the way things are going and make you some money. <laughs> yeah, we actually, so we were supposed to do like Airbnb the house, buy the travel trailer and go on the road and everything like that. But because the Airbnb market around here has just like gotten so saturated. Okay. Everyone's in it. Like you, all you need is like a little shed. Yeah. Throw a bed in it and. But they're all selling out, aren't they? I know at least in the summer months, it's almost impossible to find a yes. room or Airbnb around here. Like but the prices are also dropping. Okay, the and prices so, aren't worth it. Like, so now it's like a, almost a race to the bottom. Oh, that's where and, everyone wins. I hadn't so, realized that aspect. Yeah, it's it's really changed in the last couple, like, couple months. So you got an Airbnb where you didn't last year. You have an Airbnb where you didn't last year. And so I'm like, kind of like reading the writing on the wall, like this is not gonna, the plan I thought it was gonna be. Everyone got the same idea, more or less. It's still on the list of things we wanna do. It's just not as immediate. Maybe we throw like, a garage slash shop up here at some point. So then we'd have like a pedestal up by that transformer there and then some sort of nice walkway down this way. But you know, you'd have to either level it out or put piers or, yeah. but then the other thing is like, you could do a composting toilet. So that, that was gonna be my next question. <laughs> Are you approved for additional septic? Yeah, it's going crazy with their septic requirements and permitting, shutting people down, oh, keeping sure. people off their property. I don't know what the legalities of composting toilets is. I think um, it's allowed, but there's like certain... They want like temperature records. Something, I don't know. Blah, blah, blah. There, yeah. There's a lot of hoops you got to jump through to meet the requirements. When you look at the stuff that like Paul Stamets is doing with mycelial remediation and whatnot, it's like, why can't we just do that? Like right. the, science, the science is there. Yeah. This works. Soil's been absorbing crap for how many years has life been on this planet? So this is the other one. Yeah. Automatically, these two ravines, they're, they're zone five. You really can't do much with them. And, you know, if you didn't want to do a building or a shop, I'd maybe consider trying to do, like, some zone three tree plantings there. Water becomes a factor there. Part of me wants to think that ditch would act like a swale and you'd get some groundwater collection coming sure, down yeah. there that the trees might be able to tap into. This down to the irrigation ditch was up for grabs. Yeah, I like this area is, like, a zone three either... Around here, you're not going to do a, a true food forest, but silvopasture that you could run poultry or sheep in between the tree rows. It's got some gradient, nothing extreme. You could tap into the well for additional water. We could come up with a solution for water catchment off the, the roof and have storage tanks and get it over here. They say the soil's the best place to store it. Given bitterroot soil structure, it's going to take a while to build up to where the soil is going to hold all that water for the entirety of a growing season. Uh, the infiltration rate around here is so high. I'm assuming, based off of digging all throughout the bitterroot, you've got about three to four inches of decent topsoil. And yeah, so as soon as it gets through that topsoil, and over time, that decomposing granite will start to act like soil, but you need to bring it to life with roots and whatnot so the only way to get roots to penetrate it and get that biological activity jump started and make that granite act like topsoil is to get life in it and life needs water and this cheat grass and knapweed doesn't go deep enough to create that rhizosphere that would generate the soil life 
that we're looking for. Russian knapweed. It's really pretty when it flowers. That is true. Bees love it. If that is it. true. They sell a different, they spe sell specific knapweed honey. Yeah, which is pretty tasty. One thing that I tried my hand at, I mean, you saw where the well, where the hydrant is. That's yeah. the only one on the property. Okay. I ran a hose to the upper corner of the property, down the property line to that juniper. Okay. And then along the irrigation ditch here, because I wanted to do like a hedge. I had tried two, three times, a few different ways to do Siberian pea shrub, Rosa ragusa, and oh man, what was the other one? There's a third one. I don't know. They all flowered and they all have thorns. Like a fedge. Basically, I think the only thing that eventually took in pockets was Siberian pea shrub. Yeah, the pea shrub should do pretty well around here, but it's getting it established. It likes to I don't know. sprawl. It is more of a shrub. You could prune it to try and get it to grow up, but... Because of the length, and there's actually a slight dip yeah you can see so it pushing water back this way pressure. i mean it's like there, 600 feet from that corner the irrigation down to here. route is not efficient <laughs> no it's not, not yeah. i went high and then yeah. went that that was my thinking yeah <laughs> start high based off of financial resources it might not be a bad idea to tap into your water line and put a frost free maybe where the pile of timbers is or something i don't like relying on well water for irrigation we have a summer like we had two summers ago where you know june through september it's 100 degrees yeah. every day you're gonna have to supplement with more than you can store from the grounds the biggest thing i can say for around here you want a canopy because the benefits of a canopy are like super important but it takes so much longer to get a canopy right. established here than say in kentucky where like water just falls out of the air even on sunny days it'd just I, be nice to have some sort of edge having small kids oh no and falling i into I, the ditch I think here the idea of having like a living fence here is a spectacular idea i just think i don't know what your third species was but rosa rugosa and pea shrub are black locust that's what it was okay black locust okay so black locust is one of my favorite trees i'm gonna say that flat out it's a little tougher around here because it is a little thirstier than the other two the rosa rugosa and the pea shrub once they're established shouldn't in this environment like the ones i have on my property they're thriving things like this which i would say are a priority i think you see the value in having the hedge here you take 150 feet here i'm not saying the whole length you take a section and you say okay we can get water across the driveway bring it direct have an irrigation line here and for two summers, we'll get that established. And then we'll pull the irrigation from here to that tree. We'll run it to that fence post and we'll get the same species established there. And so, yeah, in 15 years, it'll look funny because this first 75 feet is five years old. And this 75 feet is, you know, um, half its age. And then you've got another section going down there, but eventually you will have that living fence here it's a significant drop and with the rosa rugosa and the siberian pea shrub you can coppice them and pollard them to make a real thick hedge for every two of those two i would do one black locust just because okay um but it, it is going to be the thirstier one but the benefit is 
unlike the pea shrub or the rose, which are going to have deeper roots than what we have here, mm -hmm. and start building some soil biology deeper, that black locust, it's going to go deep. Okay. And honestly, if you plant black locust here and that ditch is full, in 10 years, it's going to be drinking from the ditch. Dang, dude, we're like, I don't know. 30 feet up? It's, I'd maybe even throw some poplar in there, even though they're really thirsty too. They're clearly doing well close to the ditch here. The black locust and the poplar, if you got them established on the shoulder, as they come up, they're going to provide shade for any future orchard-type endeavors in sure. there. Sure, um, and a windbreak, too. If you can minimize the wind around here, that's going to help keep water in your ground because it's going to minimize evaporation. So there's my lack of a backyard. It's uh, fescue and clover. And then with that mini X, I tore up the back here. So we're gonna have like another like kind of rocky retaining wall with a, a fire pit by that juniper over there. Where's your leach field? On the other side, so past that big pine over there. Is it a passive leach field or yeah. pressurized? Yeah, it's, uh, it's passive, so it's all gravity fed. Okay. It's where all this okay. other junk is growing. The mustard. One thing that drives me nuts about a like drain field you can't really plant anything on it because it can't clog the lines and root vegetables you ugh, you don't want to eat that stuff and... well one it's just far enough away from the house that do you want to have a pumpkin patch out here that would need irrigating and weeding and whatnot i mean it, not really yeah I'm, I'm pretty lazy, so, I mean, if the deer come out and, like, start eating pumpkins, if it grows deer. If it makes protein, could try fencing it off with the 3D, you know, step-in posts and growing chicken food plots. So mow it down and then, you know, either do a light tilling or not, but, you know, grow, like, peas and radish and... When you notice it's ready, you bring chicken tractors in or whatnot. One, the chickens probably aren't going to eat the radish. They'll eat the greens, right? Sure. It's not you eating something that grew directly in your own poop. So you're eating the eggs or harvesting broilers. You've got a second layer of protection, right? You know, maybe like zone two annuals, but you're you're not putting a ton of effort into it. Broadcast and then mow, be mulch for the broadcast seed. And what comes up is is food for the chickens. Seed is relatively cheap. Right. Especially if it does become feed, you know. Yeah. Let's see what you have before we decide in the future. Sure. Um, this is something we do I tried in um, two months. I usually pull all the wood chips out of the out of the chicken there. Yeah. It's about four or five yards. Yeah. Sweep them out and I water it, pile it up, and cover it and let it sit for three months before I use it in the garden beds here. Um, I mean, you can obviously see how much shade it gets. Yeah. We're two weeks past the longest day of the year, and it is almost three o'clock, yeah. and it's still heavily in the shade. Once you get that productive, figuring out something cool with the chickens, you know, maybe doing tractors for broilers, it would be the last place that I look to start investing time. Uh, do you want to talk about my super weird they're not weird. They're beautiful in uh, their own way. They are beautiful in their own way. How, how functional are they? Have they been working good for you? They work fine. This is, this is kind of like the second iteration. I have frames from something else entirely and blah, blah, blah. Here's where I'm at right now. I call it like a DeLorean greenhouse. So like the greenhouse plastic, obviously it it's not sealed up very well. Yeah. But the idea is that you get an extra couple degrees. Yeah. So these are supposed to like roll up. Probably better with two hands, not holding a selfie stick. Right. So they roll up and there's usually like bungee cord and then these swing open oh. to access 
the garden bed, and that's what this stick hence, is for. Hence the DeLorean name. I thought we were going to do some time traveling. <laughs> time traveling to a better idea. No, this is great. It does okay. I, the idea was fence the plants in versus fencing the deer out, because this was cheaper. Yeah. Like, this was almost entirely free materials minus the greenhouse plastic. Yeah. Like, the cedar here um yeah. slab wood is relatively was from that shed project and after that shed project came the chicken coop i feel like they're in a bad place and i say that because with the sun coming up over here yeah it doesn't get sun until like in the summer i maybe peak summer 11 a.m 11 ish yeah and so like we can talk about the space between the house and the chicken coop in a minute that's um that's shaded almost all the time yeah so that's kind of a problem so where these are at i feel like they have to move it'll be a chore but they're not they're not permanent if you wanted it in this area they're probably better served on this corner of the house i'm assuming in the heat of the summer the plastic's totally off yes yeah yeah um, maybe just for like colder nights on uh little bit sensitive yeah. plants I think those beds would be a lot more productive here in the greenhouse. You'd get a lot more out of it to have something here and, you know, the kids can, I want to go grab a ground cherry. Yeah, you know, you're sitting at the fire, you can still see them. Sure. They're not running up to, up there near the road. But then you've got the weird, like, in the heat of summer, because, like, my property, I'm full south exposure. And I, like, my plants get too much sun. So I've got those shades on the deck. Yeah that I made those too. So that's a yeah. shade cloth. Yeah. I was thinking, I'd like to replace them because how they, they work, but they're kind of crappy to use. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a theme around here. But if <laughs> and so I was going to take those off and add another layer on top of the well, plastic. So yeah. if I need it shaded, it could be shaded. You know, you have the greenhouse plastic. In theory, that's your season extension, right? Mm-hmm you lose that season extension by it being in the shade. Right. You had it over here, yeah, you get stuff going earlier than you could in the upper garden. You've got a lot of potential for fun projects here. Honestly, the, the biggest things that jump out to me would be getting into more of the contextual issues, like what do you want to invest in it, both financially and time. What your existing resources are, what, you know, you yourself personally have or what you can borrow from neighbors or if you need a bobcat are you renting that kind of going through that checklist if we're investing what do we need to get out of it you know do we need to actually say we're producing x amount of food and that justifies what we invested because we're saving that on grocery store bills or is the quality of life that you get by having these systems in place is that worth the investment in and of itself what's the balance there what do you want this to look like in five to ten years you know but things that jump out to me immediately are that should be you know a zone one vegetable garden it's good sun it's got water it's highly visible minimize the amount of times we're turning that well on mm -hmm. because every well pump has x number of you know clicks. hours yeah you gotta figure out how to catch water from your roof 
I lean to this side to grow just because you have more sun. So I would say get the gutters over here and then either build timber frame ponds to hold them. Basically build like a cabin with four by fours and line it with a pond liner or aquaponics and have, you know, goldfish or carp or something in it. And, I thought about that, yeah. And then you've got a nutrient dense water that you're irrigating your trees with. Overflow from one timber frame pond coming to another pond oh, here. Gorgeous. It gives you that kind of zen, you know, it would add to your landscaping. We could make it look more wild or like if we are going to do, you know, timber frame ponds and have the DeLoreans along here, it could almost go like English garden type, perfectly spaced trees. Oh, sure. Like, like symmetrical and yeah, yeah okay. I kind of like both. Yeah. I like symmetry, but it is kind of cool to when you see somebody's garden, like it just looks just wild. The little captions are like, this is that, that's Organized this, that's this. Chaos. And it's like, wow. That's pretty cool that you got yeah. all these layers to it. Like an arbor coming from the door to here, that gives you like maybe four feet of arbor. And then oh an man, open that would be sweet. Four, so it starts to look like that more formal landscaping, but it's still productive. And you know, you got some comfort or whatnot in the ground cover and different flowers and make it so it's all food, fiber, fuel, or medicine, right? Right. But it looks kind of like that more formal landscape that comes out to your fire pit and you come and hang out and the kids can run in the garden and you got, you got your four foot arbor there, four foot gap of four foot arbor. So you got kind of the tunnel to walk out, open spots for the kids to run in, the, the clover for the bees. Maybe there's a chicken tractor here, you know? That is one thing my wife does not want. She's like, I don't want any animal poop where we where the kids might play yeah she's like i don't want to step in it fair, i want to go out fair. there with my bare feet before i say let's make a serious investment of time and money and energy let's not only have a plan that is going to use permaculture principles and you know conserve as much energy as, as possible and keep all the nutrients on the property but also something that's going to fit with your lifestyles and what your lifestyle is now what you want it to be in 10 years what you want it to be right. in 20 years so i think there's something really powerful too actually like when the kids are, you know, thinking about moving out, what's this look like? Is this something that we will be able to manage when our mobility is limited, mm -hmm. you know? Because I've seen some really cool permaculture sites where it's like, yeah, you've got zone one, two, three, and four, and five, but zones one through three are like a lot of work to keep this thing going. Right. So is that what you want? And I mean, some people like, yeah, that's their, what they want to do is go play in the garden. But, you know, do you want to be hauling a wheelbarrow up a <laughs> ramp in 20 years? Or do you just want to have that area figured out so you don't have to deal with a wheelbarrow there? That was kind of like a question of flow inputs and outputs. Wood chips come into the top. You come out of the Come bottom. out at the bottom and then they get used in the garden beds. Which is a great idea. So I stole that from Jeff Watton when he did the greening the desert. Up at the top, you know, is where the garden is now, majority of it anyways. Get How do you get it back up. up there? Yeah. Oh, the chicken coop is probably gonna move. So then if the chicken coop moves, those steps are gonna go somewhere else because I was gonna run it right down the middle, which is where I put in that French don't, drain. Don't build steps yet. I've interviewed you for the podcast and stuff, but one thing that we didn't go over because we just jumped right into yeah. walking the property was what is your experience? Who did you work under? I'm Matt Sargent. He said my name earlier. So I grew up in Colorado. Always wanted a homestead, but at 81,000 feet, it's a little difficult. You had two months growing zone. I moved to Indiana, kind of started homesteading, found Gaia's Garden, which is, you know, everyone's 
best gateway. Within a year, I was leasing land in Kentucky, starting a farm, trained under Mark Shepard, did his restoration agriculture program, so his version of a permaculture designer's certificate. Ran my own farm for about two years before we moved to Montana, where I managed ABC Acres, which is a pretty impressive permaculture mm -hmm. farm in the valley. Left to chase another dream, and now I'm here and doing consulting, looking to start a design firm of my own. That's me in a nutshell. And that's why you're here. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for being here, man. Thanks, Matt. It was a pleasure. I am Matt DeRosier of Farm Hop Life. Thanks for watching. Don't forget to subscribe and visit farmhoplife.com.